Morning, everyone. Thanks for that small heart attack there, Roger. Chapter 2, I was getting a bit worried. I hadn't read your email right. Uh, thank you, Andy, for sharing with us, telling us uh, those wonderful things. I, I was considering whether um, offering my girls a snake if they do well in school would work, but I, I don't think it will, actually. <laughs> Have they? Yeah. As we begin, I'd like to, we're heading to Colossians chapter 4, but I'd like just to begin in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 17, and you don't necessarily need to turn to it, but if you'd like to listen, this is a prayer of Jesus for his disciples, and uh, he's praying to his father, and he says, I'm coming to you now, speaking to his father, but I say these things why I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. That's his disciples. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, any more than I am of the world. But my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, that is, set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And these are this prayer of Jesus, these verses remind us that as Christians, we live behind enemy lines. We live in occupied territory, if you like. Um, that phrase really struck me as I read Jesus' prayer. Um, the people of God are not of this world. have to really ponder that, that sentence, what it means, don't we? The people of God are not of this world. But have you ever asked yourself, okay, if I'm not of this world... What am I doing here? You know, why when I became a Christian, didn't Jesus just take me to be with him? If I'm not of the world like he's not, why, why does he leave his people here? Um, I guess you can end up behind enemy lines or in occupied territory for a number of reasons, can't you? Um, in a war, it might be because of accident, maybe you crash landed behind enemy lines and you're stranded there, you're stuck there. Um, maybe you were, your army was overrun by the enemy and you were defeated and the line passed you by and you got stuck behind. That happened a number of times in the Second World War. Or maybe you're on a mission. Maybe you're on a special mission behind enemy lines. And I think it's really important for us to remember as God's people why Jesus has left us here. God's people are not behind enemy lines because of an accident, because we crashed, landed here, and got abandoned. Or, and we're not behind enemy lines because of any defeat. Jesus was victorious. God's people are victorious. We're behind enemy lines because we are on a mission. In Jesus' prayer, 
Um, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them. And he goes on to say, as you sent me, so I am sending them. Giovanni, one of your missionaries from Abbey here, um, challenged me once when he said uh, to the church at Hillview, he was sharing at Hillview, he said, if we were here just to enjoy each other's company as Christians, um, to enjoy worshipping God together like this on a Sunday, then Jesus would have already taken us home. Because we'd be far better being together in heaven with, with Jesus, wouldn't we, if that's what it was all about. He said the reason we're still here is that we're part of God's incredible mission to save the world. That's why we're still here. John Piper has a saying. He, he talks about a wartime lifestyle. A wartime lifestyle. And I think just this little part here, I'd like to read you about that. Sometimes I use the phrase wartime lifestyle or wartime mindset. The phrase is helpful, but it's also lopsided. For me, though, it is mainly helpful. It tells me that there is a war going on in the world between Christ and Satan, truth and falsehood, belief and unbelief. It tells me that there are weapons to be funded and used, but that these weapons are not swords or guns or bombs, but the gospel and prayer and self-sacrificing love. And it tells me that the stakes of this conflict are higher than any other war in history. They are eternal and infinite, heaven or hell, eternal joy or eternal torment. And he goes on to give this example of the Queen Mary lying in a harbor in America. And the Queen Mary was this luxury cruise liner. In its day, it was, you know, the, the creme de la creme of cruise liners. But when the war began, it was seconded as a troop carrier. And it went from 3,000 passengers living in luxury on board to 15,000 troops. And now it's a museum, and what they've done is they've divided different parts of it into, uh, with a screen down the middle showing what it was like in war and what it was like in peacetime. And in peacetime, there's 15 plates and gold forks and knives, and in the wartime dining room, there's just a tray with indents where the soldiers would have eaten. In the living quarters, there's peacetime, there's these luxury cabins. Um, in the wartime, there's you know, eight bunks high for all the troops to get in. And he really wants to challenge us to remind us as God's people that we live behind enemy lines, that it isn't peacetime for us as God's people. That's coming. This is wartime. We're in a battle, a spiritual battle um, for the world. And Jesus is still at work, and we're a part of that mission. And when anyone is sent on a mission, one of the really important things is that uh, they're given mission protocols. What are the protocols for this mission? A protocol is a code of conduct or rules of appropriate behavior that are given for you on your mission. And in our passage today in Colossians 4, 2-6, I'd like to suggest that what Paul is doing is giving the Colossian Christians their mission protocols. This is how your code of conduct, how you're to behave, how you're to act out your mission in hostile territory. Now, you, some of you may have seen the film Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? came out this year. Anyone seen that? Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? Yeah, oh, good. Thank you, Paul. 
Um, well, I've uh, entitled this because I'm not, I don't get into corny titles or anything. Uh, Behind Enemy Lines, Holy Ghost Protocol. Okay? You can see. Uh, so, Mission Impossible, Holy Ghost Protocol. Hopefully that will stick in your mind. So, Holy Ghost Protocol 1, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Holy Ghost Protocol 1 is watchful and thankful prayer. Now, the word devote there, some Bibles have steadfastly, persevering, constantly diligent in prayer. And then this word watchful, which is used a lot actually. And it means keep awake, be vigilant, collecting one's faculties, aware of, aware of what's going on. And there was one passage that particularly stuck out to me to help us understand what Paul means by watchful um, prayer, by being watchful in prayer. And it's this one here. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. If you read that passage and compare Jesus and the disciples, I think we begin to grasp what Paul was saying, where we are to be devoted to watchful prayer. Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled and overwhelmed with sorrow by what is happening. The disciples are sleeping. Jesus is wrestling in prayer over what God has called him to do. The disciples are sleeping. Jesus is devoted in his prayer. Three times he goes back and he prays again to the Father. Three times the disciples are sleeping. You see, Jesus knows his mission. He's awake. He's vigilant. He's watchful. The disciples are sleeping. Jesus is still at work in the world today, isn't he? Wonderfully. Through his Holy Spirit, bringing the mission of God to fulfillment through his people. And it, Paul is really raising uh, the question for us this morning. Are we with Jesus in this? Are we awake? Are we vigilant in our prayers? Or are we the church who is asleep in the corner? It's a real challenge. And it's uh, really great what Paul does next. He helps 
the Colossians to really grasp how important their prayer is. Listen to what he says in verse 3, and pray for us too. He asks for their prayer, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He helps them to see just how important their being awake and vigilant and in prayer is. It's so important that if they don't, it affects his very ministry as an apostle. He asks them to pray that the door will be open. And I think that's a, a brilliant little statement there because he's in prison. And yet he doesn't ask for the prison door to be opened. He's asking them to pray for the door to the gospel to be opened and that he will have the ability to speak clearly the gospel of God. He shows them that if they're not praying vigilantly, then how's that door going to be opened? They're part of it. Watchful prayer is so important, and that's the first protocol that Paul gives them. The second Holy Holy Ghost protocol, if you like, is verse 5. Be wise in the way you act. Make the most uh, towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So be wise in the way you act. Um, Outsiders here is talking about those outside the kingdom of God, those who aren't Christians. And again, when we try and understand something like this verse, be wise in the way you act. Paul, very unhelpfully, doesn't actually say anything more in this part, just says be wise in the way you act. Well, you could sort of take that in many different ways, couldn't you? Um, But fortunately, one of the great things about the Bible is it usually interprets itself. And Paul writes another letter to the Ephesians, and in Ephesians 5, verse 3 to 18, helps us really understand what's he saying when he's saying, be wise in the way you act. So Ephesians 5, reading from verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Verse 7, Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now here's the the particular part. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 7, 
Therefore, do not be partners with them, that is, with outsiders. Verse 17, but understand what the Lord's will is. So what Paul's really saying is to be wise in the way you act to those who do not know Jesus is to not do what they do, but to be different. To know the Lord's way and to live it. And he gives this uh, great example in, in uh, Ephesians 5 here of drunkenness. And he just uses this as an example of what he's trying to say. Don't get drunk on wine. That's what outsiders do. Because this leads to debauchery, which basically means extreme indulgence, abandoning of oneself to lust, to sex, to violence, all of those things. That equals an unwise act. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, which equals a wise act. So be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. It's about knowing what God's will is and living that life, not being tempted to live the way outsiders do. He goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity. Some versions have this wonderful statement, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. And the word behind that really has this sense of, of buying up something in the marketplace um, at a really good price. You see, you see this opportunity to make a profit, so you buy up this thing and then you sell it and make a good profit. So you're looking for this opportunity for profit. And that's exactly what it means here. We are to use every opportunity God gives us to its greatest effect. And that means we have to be vigilant, alert, and watchful even uh, for those opportunities. So the second protocol, uh, be wise in the way you act. And finally, protocol three, verse six, speak with grace and truth. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know what I love about these, particularly these few verses, is words like conversation. Conversation. You know, it's not preach. It's not teach. It's not debate. It's not admonish. It's not that sort of maybe things we see is so difficult. It's conversation. Something that all of us are perfectly capable of doing. Part of our mission is to have conversations with the world, with our friends, our family who don't know Jesus. And in our conversations, and if those conversations are going to impact for good, for Jesus, they need to have two elements. The first is grace. And 1 Peter 3.15, if you want to read that later, sums this up really well. But basically it says our conversation should always be with gentleness and respect. When we speak with others in the world, it should always be with grace. It should always be with gentleness and respect. Even when we don't agree, always be laced with gentleness and respect, with grace and love is how we're called to speak. And secondly, seasoned with salt, which I think is saying truth. Talking about truth. So it's saying, be respectful and gentle, full of grace, but speak the truth. Speak the truth of what the Bible says. Speak the truth about Jesus. Don't cover it up. It's got to be seasoned with salt, what we say, but it should be said in grace and truth. And I find this uh, passage in, in John chapter 1 um, particularly wonderful when it talks about our Lord Jesus. 
The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we're called to be the same people, people of grace and people of truth. So in conclusion, I was really blessed by this passage this week. It sort of surprised me a bit, and it really encouraged me, because these are our mission protocols. And you know what? I actually can cope with these mission protocols. There's a lot that I think about sharing my faith, and I, and I can't really cope. But these mission protocols, with God's help, I can cope. They're not complicated, and they're not confusing. They're actually simple, practical, everyday things that we can do. The passage tells us that the protocols for our mission to make Jesus known are simply to be watchful and thankful in prayer, to be wise in the way we act, making the most of every opportunity, and to speak with grace and truth. Three protocols that I think, if we, with the Holy Spirit's help, live by them, will really bless our witness and help us in the mission that we've been given behind enemy lines. And just to finish, 1 John 4, 4 reminds us that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Great encouragement. Thank you very much.